Hey guys, thank you all so much for coming for Guardianship Training 2014. Our speaker is Joe Duncan. We call him Elder Duncan. He was our first elder that we ordained after the church got rolling. Currently he isn't officially serving as an elder, but really he's he's an elder. He's qualified and he functions in that role. And he oversees the Guardian Training System. And so his wife is Laura Duncan, our children's pastor and missions coordinator. And so I give you... Joe Duncan. Well, thank you. Well, let's let's uh, open in prayer and, and we'll get into it. Father in heaven, we're we're so thankful that we could we could come before you and serve and and serve some of the most special and important people in this congregation, Lord, our children. Lord, I I pray that you direct. This this evening, this class, uh, Lord, let us hear exactly what you want us to hear. Father, we just give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so thankful you're here. It is uh, a, a church really does survive on on in many ways on the faithfulness of their people. And you could it'd be very easy for you to be somewhere else and and you might even prefer you were somewhere else. But you chose to be here and I appreciate that. That's important to this body and to the kids that we we are are ministering to. On the screen you'll see that we use what we call the guardian system. It's a program to help pastors and ministry workers protect the children of Generations Church. Now, essentially there are two groups of people up there, pastors and ministry workers, and in reality you're all pastors. If you minister and, and, and care for children, the word pastor is shepherd. You're shepherding kids and, of course, children. And while we... we we focus on the children in this guardian program because we want them to be safe. Anybody that walks in that door, we want them to have a God experience and a safe experience, adults and children. So this is, we're going to talk a lot about protecting children, but understand part of this course protects the workers. We live in a world that we would prefer were a lot different. We would, we would like to think that kids are safe, but that's not really the case out there. Uh, but there's also a lot of false accusations that go on. And what we, as I said, we not only want to protect the children, we want to protect you. This program is, is, is organized in such a way as to put you in a safe position as well. And we're going to talk a lot about that uh, as we go along. The guardian system is actually, this is, everything we talk about in here is based on this book, The Guardian System, by David Middlebrook. David Middlebrook is one of the founding attorneys of the church law group in Grapevine. And... Uh, uh, we actually, and I'll talk about that a little more, but we actually pay an annual fee to that law group 
So we have access to those attorneys. If we have questions, we can meet with them. And, and recently, we've done just that. We've had a meeting with the attorneys because of a particular situation. So we have, we have coverings in a number of different ways to make all this, this work. So a lot of the material comes out of this book. And actually, this is actually outdated, but it's hard to hold up a PDF document, I guess. And, uh, I've got the latest version of this book in a PDF document, and anybody that wants it, let me know, and I'll, I'll email you a copy. So keep that in mind. The key to the guardian system, and if, if you want to take anything away from this class, it's really the always and never rules. Those are extremely important. There's five always and five never. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Before we get into them, blessing and protecting children is biblical. And the scriptures speak to that. Let the little children come to me, Jesus says, and do not hinder them. And if you remember this story... There's, there's a crowd around, and the disciples are kind of pushing away the children. And, uh, and Jesus' response is, said, Let those children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to these. He called a little child and had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so we have, we have the Lord's words on how he values children and how we need to value them. The last thing we want to look at from the words of Jesus is a warning. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So, the, the, the foundation is laid scripturally. Protecting the children that attend Generations Church is not only biblical, it's the law. And we're going to, to deal with a lot of those issues in this presentation. All right, now we're going to talk about those always and never rules. And every class we give on the Guardian program, we, we speak about these always and never rules because these are the heart of the whole program. Always remember that child molesters and abusers do not always look or act like an abuser. Uh, forget anything you, I guess you've seen on TV. Abusers can be very nice people and appear to be very nice people. And some of the fil uh, a short film we're going to look at, we'll, we'll deal with that a little more. Always report any suspicious activity or perceived abuse. Now, I guess we need to pause 
some of you this is a review, and for some of you this is new. So I have I really don't know where all you all of you are on this, but reporting is a requirement, and there are several ways you can report, and we will deal with that as we we go along in this in this presentation. Always report any suspicious activity or perceived abuse. If in doubt, who do you contact? And it would be really easy if the bad guys just always looked like bad guys, but they don't. And so sometimes the situations we get into are, are really pretty tricky, are, are um, very uncomfortable. We don't always get all the evidence. The, 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 the first way you may know abuse might be going on is if a child comes up to you and tells you they're scared or they've been hit. And then the question is, what do I do with that information? We want to cover you in every way possible. And we have three elders that you can go to, Pastor Allen, Greg Harrell, and J.P. Grantham. Currently, I'm the director of the Guardian System for Generations Church. You can come to me. Uh, you can come, and most of you will either be working, if you choose to actually work in children's ministry, you'll either work in the youth department or you're under Miss Yvette, or you'll work in the children's department under Laura. So you have those two resources. You have, so in other words, you've got a number of people you can talk to. If, if there's any perceived abuse. By the way, I'll pause just a second. If you have any questions, please, please feel free. Okay. Uh, and and let's, let's deal with uh, a question that was asked at one of our, our previous uh, training sessions. We had someone ask, do we really need to have multiple people when we change a child's diaper, do we really need to have multiple people in the room? And the answer is always yes, because perceived, you know, any kid that comes in here might have a bruise on them, and it's not necessarily, it's not, in, in probably 99% of the cases, it's not abuse. And one of the worst things, see, this is the, the, the delicate balance we do here. We, we want to be sure we have enough information to make a report. Because obviously, this has great implications. And so, so if, if, there's, if you have suspicions, say a, a child, uh, you're in the nursery and there's some bruises on that child, you want somebody there and, and you want to determine... Does this look like abuse or just the bruises that a baby gets from falling down all the time? Uh, one of the dangers, uh, sorry, I don't know how these can pop up. Uh-huh. 
Right. Okay. Um, did did I did I answer your question? Yeah, I think it's perceived. It may you may not be. You, know, you may not know for sure, but if it looks suspicious, you have to report it. Okay. Okay. Any other comments? I'm very interruptible, so stop me at any time. Let's go on to number three. Always be with another adult when in the presence of children. This is called the too deep rule. And we will report, we will repeat that over and over again. Because remember, we started out by saying we want to protect children. We also want to protect adults. If you've got another adult with you in the room, then, then that's, that's kind of your, your witness to what you're doing. And if, if, there's been some just horror stories of pastors with good intentions going out to uh, uh, counsel teenagers. And the teenagers accused them of abuse, and the pastor went out there all by themselves. When I was a young pastor in the, in the late 70s, I, I just think of how many times I would have, I would have messed up this rule. Because it was common, a teenager, I just, teenager comes to you and says, I just got to talk to you. So you go out of the building, you go somewhere and talk to them. I'd never do that today. Go somewhere that you may need privacy, but go somewhere where somebody can see you. We, we have the issue upstairs with taking children to the, to the restroom. How do you do that? Because abuse can happen in the restroom. And, and the restrooms are the only doors in the building that don't have mirrors in them. We've, if you look around the building, we put mirrors. Many of these doors were solid doors. Windows. What did I say, mirrors? Sorry. <laughs> we, we actually, we did have a pastor that wanted to put mirrors above the uh, stalls in the bathroom, and we said, nah, I don't think we'll do that. I don't think anybody would ever use those bathrooms again. So, okay, windows, windows. Uh, so just the too deep rule is that you have a witness with you. Bill. A scenario, uh, you're on a field trip in a van. you got two adults, a bunch of kids. You make a, a pit stop market or restroom break, how do, you, how do you split up? You can't do it, or you have to leave with three adults and four adults. Yeah, how, fill the van up with adults and yeah. two kids. <laughs> how, Basically, the, our attorney uh, says in a video you cannot guarantee at all times that, that, that nothing will ever happen. No organization and no individual can do that. You're making the best effort you can to keep kids safe and to protect your adults. So you're right, Bill. There, there are incidents we can bring up. What we do upstairs is, is uh, Laura tries to have three, three adults 
in kids' church at all times. When we've got, and invariably, you know, we make them go to the restroom when before kids' church starts, and so some kid tells you, I can't wait. And I really am not real crazy about testing that one. So, so we have, we have one adult stays in the classroom, one adult in the hallway, and one adult takes them down the hall and stands at the door. If it's a boy, there's a man that, that stands at the door as the boy goes in. Now, the adult doesn't go in the bathroom unless he has to, unless there's some urgent reason. Otherwise, he stays at the door. But the adult that's in the hall can see both the person at the door of the bathroom and the person in the classroom. So, again, we're just trying to do the best we can uh, with with the best available resources we have. Because if you notice, we have cameras throughout the building. Now, we did discuss putting cameras in all the classrooms and in the sanctuary. Well, at what point do you become big brother? When do you cross the line and you become big brother and you're observing everybody's every move? Well, you don't. You know, what we want to do is make sure that somebody can't get a child off to themselves. That's what we're really trying to prevent and not to, to cover every possible square inch of the building. Eighteen and over. Anybody eighteen and over that's in a classroom is is considered an adult and must have a background check, a criminal background check, and we run a background check on everybody. They must have the forms, and you've got in your hand. I think all of you have a packet. Maybe not. Uh, let me make sure everybody who who doesn't have a packet right now. Matt, do you have one? Would you make sure everybody gets one if anybody else comes in? Could you review what happens when Junior has to go potty in children's church? Does somebody go with him or go to the hallway and watch him? We have one adult. If it's a girl, there's a woman that goes and stands at the bathroom door. They don't go in. We don't send an adult into the bathroom unless, again, the preschool and nursery, that's a little different. But in kids' church, uh, first grade through fifth, we assume most of those kids can handle that. And so if they really need to go to the bathroom, they're in there and out fairly quickly. The preschool and nursery have their own restrooms. And they have their own restrooms, right. And uh, and I know it would be easy for some of the preschool uh, to, again, that question that we got several years ago, do I have to have somebody with me when I ch- change a diaper? And the, really the answer is yes, because if you find bruises on this child that, that are not what you'd call the normal kind of a bruise, you want to make sure you don't, first of all, we want to protect that child and we want to take it to the next level. And number two, we don't want you to get accused if you're by yourself there can be an accusation made. So what we want to do is have another, the too deep rule, so that, that, that somebody else can witness that. Does that make sense? That, that's probably one of the most important things that we talk about. How do you do that in public schools? Um, we violate 
to senior older teachers, you know, way back you didn't do that. But right. like we, I'm at an elementary school, we don't have a lot of men. So I'd go to the boys back in all the time. Yeah. Especially here or something. I'd say, coming in. I'd just walk around. <laughs> you know. And, uh, and the little kids, you know, they can't zip their pants. or and, and Not everyone's watching. You. Yeah. And I saw the thing on the side hug. A lot of the younger teachers, it's always side, one arm. Right. Always, you know, an embrace. But then that's when I started teaching, that's what we did. Right. Sure. And so time, times have changed, and this makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 20 years ago, I never heard of this stuff. I mean, I didn't know any church that did this. In fact, when I was a young pastor, I went to a, to a, a, a ministerial conference, and uh, one of the uh, pastors, we had an attorney speak. It was right at the beginning of some lawsuits that were starting to pop up back in the 70s. At least it was the beginning for me. And uh, one of the pastors Asked a question nobody would ask today. Do you think we really need to get insurance for this? Yes. (laughs) And back then, nobody did. Now here, the question is not if you get insurance, but how much you should carry. I hate to I hate to put it in those terms, but but that's the world we live in today. Okay. Sure. Do we need a bathroom, buddy? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. I'm trying to think if that's ever come up. But because you've got three adults, one can leave. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, but I mean, just Provided like, there's no kids in the bathroom. Well, that's the problem is like when we come in and all the teenagers are running around. And oh. They're in the upstairs bathroom. They're in the downstairs bathroom. And my bladder's this big. <laughs> <laughs> Well, do I need to get, find an adult and take with me? You know, it, it's not a bad idea. I hate to to get so. And I'll tell you a similar example. I went to Walmart, and there was about an 11 year old boy go in the bathroom ahead of me, and uh, I peeked in long enough to just see, and there was nobody else there. I waited until he came out. Now, I, I've been teaching this now for for a while, so I, maybe I'm a little too. Uh, conditioned, I don't know what the right term is, but I let him come out before I went in. So I don't, uh, again, we can just worry ourselves. And one of the things about this course is that it, we a lot of times talk about worst case scenarios. I have never been into church where a child abuse charge has been made in my life. I'm 65. Now, I know that it happens. Certainly, the the Catholic Church has been in the news enough times over the last 10 years or so. So we know that it happens. But we do this not to scare anybody. And I I gave this course to the the youth leaders and and kind of their older uh, youth that were helping out. And, And when it was over, Miss Yvette, uh, as, as I'm leaving, she says, well, thanks, Joe, for scaring us. <laughs> and I realize to some extent there's this, this fear stuff. But one, we're, we're, we're also trusting the Lord. We're, we're asking the Lord to cover our services and, and to, to uh, bless this house. 
we're just being good stewards with what God's given us. And we have to, and as you're going to see more and more as we get into this, that we have to obey the laws of the land. And a lot of this is based on the laws of the land. So, uh, in, in particular, Texas laws. Well, you know, Joe, in school, we did have, they did have cameras throughout. But you know, like a teacher's in the room by herself. It's not too deep. Yeah. She's got to extend her kids. So. Do, but do, we did, there were cameras. We had, I had cameras in the gym, cameras in all yeah. the place. So, even though you're alone with children, you know, you're always on camera. Right. So, if something was ever... Said, I guess they could go back and look. So, you know, they watched us too. So yeah. They're going to do in California since now they made it legal to use any bathroom you want. Yeah. I, I guess the churches in California got to figure that out. So, okay. Uh, again, always be, in, be with another adult when in the presence of children. This is called the too deep rule. Okay. And we. That too deep rule has got to be just Im- burned into your your mind. Just that's just just a helpful way to to deal with this. All, number four of the always w- rules: always remember that every adult in the classroom must have a background check. This is a minimum, and I'm I want to explain this because it sometimes it's confusing. We really follow the, the guidelines that the school uses, the local schools. If you want to go, uh, if a parent or grandparent wants to go into a classroom, they require you, you to supply your driver's license and they run a quick check on you. That's how you get in the classroom. Well, we, we're not sophisticated enough to... to uh, to scan driver's license yet. But anybody that goes in the classroom, and this is even parents, and I know as parents, that's why do I have to go in to my own child's classroom? Well, it's not just for your child. It's because there's a lot of other children in there. And so the background check just gets you in the door. That doesn't allow you to minister. We have other forms that you have in there that are required of this church for you to minister to children. Does, does everybody understand that, or did I confuse you? Which I'm fully capable of doing. So please uh, correct me. If what, do, what do you recommend we tell a parent that comes? Because like we had that happen a couple weeks ago. Justin's mom, she, they live in Cleaver, and she brought him here. Mm-hmm. And didn't really have anywhere else, you know, to be for the hour and a half or whatever. So she just hung out and sat in the back of the classroom with me. But I guess we shouldn't have done that. Well, we do give a, we do give, and I'm glad you asked the question. We do give a two-week grace period. Because we understand the first time a parent comes, they're not going to be aware. Right. And so this gives us, as long as the other adults in there are aware you really don't want that parent to be isolated with anybody, but and and we're again we're talking about kind of a the best case scenario, but but that kind of gives us a little wiggle room, and then we need to get the background check. Okay, number five, always make 
certain that touch is age-appropriate and for the purpose of edifying and encouragement. Now, I think this one is a particularly, particularly important to those in youth. Kids, I think if you hug a kid straight on, most, most kids just aren't at that point where that means anything but just affection. Now, once you get into those teen years, there's a lot of raging hormones. And so, so again, what are appropriate ways to, for touch in a, in a youth, teenage area? What are appropriate ways to show affection? Yeah, yeah, that's a great one. That really is. Culture has helped us out there a little bit. What what other ways? And somebody mentioned it. The side hug. In in fact, even with adults, when we talk, when we train adults for ministry, we talk about the side hug. And uh, what what are there's a couple other ways you can do this. It's pretty pretty safe. Right. Sure. My daughter, my little one, six-year-old, she is a hug fanatic. She is a fanatic about hugs. There's a couple of the teenagers that are that way, too. <laughs> yeah, actually, both of my girls are, are, are like that, my 14-year-old and my six-year-old. Um, if you, I mean, for me, I'm okay, but I'm not like me personally. <laughs> I mean, I'm okay with them. <laughs> but if, if it comes to, to where it's somebody else, I mean, how do you tell that six-year-old got a side hug instead of yeah? Well, I'm not as because like I know with 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 my own daughter, she would be like, oh wow, you don't like me, and I mean, she's like, you know, two hugs, two hugs. Yeah. She hugs you when she sees you. She hugs you when she leaves. She hugs you her bath and bath. Teacher, some kids don't give any. Yeah. Of course, I'm elementary. I'm a little guy. They don't get any affection at all. But I think the key was, and I think Alan mentioned, age appropriate. The six-year-old, I, I'm not as concerned that a six-year-old wants to come up and throw their arms around my neck. That, that's, and especially if I'm in a class situation with other adults there, I think you're safe. Now, again, the teenager is an issue. Um, I mean, my, my kids are very affectionate. Yeah. And, and that's why, and, you know, she's 14, but she does the same. She doesn't, when she hugs somebody, she doesn't, I don't even know if she knows to, to go to the side or anything like that. Yeah. She just hugs normal. Well, I, I think a lot of this is driven from our side. When we're ministering, when we're giving affection, initiate, from the side. I think uh, uh, when you're ministering a touch on the shoulder, you can actually, when you anoint, a lot of times you, you put a, your hand on a head, although I, I found out that some women don't like that, so I'm a little <laughs> hesitant to, yeah. to, to do that. But well, I, I've yeah. heard that being called caressing.
Okay, so. 20 years ago, I mean, I was a youth counselor. I that, had to deal with a lot of those issues, especially that hugging issue. Yeah. Because it was teenagers that I was a counselor to, and that was, yeah, that was, these kids were, they were good, loving Christian kids. Affection is part of the, the, the game. Yeah. Wait. I'm, I'm looking at, at, at it if somebody else was like my daughter and approaching me, because she'll just, both of them, just come running at you full speed and hug you. So, I mean. Well, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I'm not for the straight arm, you know. To, you know. <laughs> give them, we initiated. Yeah. It's who's initiating, really. Yeah, it's, it's from, from our side. And, and. Again, you're probably safe in most cases when it's in the group situation. You have other adults there. Uh, if you see one particular kid go to one particular adult all the time and there may be suspicion of a f- infatuation. You know, you get a, uh, say, a younger male and, and the the teenage girls are particularly interested in that young male adult. You know, those are the kinds of things probably you have to you have to be concerned about a little more. But but again, this is the kind of thing that as long as we follow the two deep rule and if we have concerns, those are the kinds of things to bring up with say Yvette or bring up with Laura or myself or the three elders. You know, just be at peace about it. We don't want you to just tie the knots because you don't know how you're going to handle. The, a church should be a place where people can hug and 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 be safe. So, okay, all right. Those are the five always. The five never rules. Never go into a restroom with a child without another adult. Always follow the too deep rule. You're going to probably get tired of hearing that too deep rule. Number two, never go into the restroom with a child of the opposite sex. Do they always have like a male and a female adult in the classes? Well, we've really been blessed in the ch- in the children, and I think in the youth as well. We actually have more males in children's ministry than we have females. That's really, I've never, huh? Out of the nursery kids. Yeah, the first, the first through fifth grade, I have never been in church where we had so many males work in that ministry. But we do, we've, for years now, we've had more males work in there than females. So we've always had at least Laura in there. And there's enough other females that we've always had enough to cover. And in, in talking with the vet, uh, they've they've had that covered pretty well. She can give you more of the specifics than I can. But are churches potentially more vulnerable to this problem than some other organizations? Dr. William Tyson specializes in the treatment of criminals who have been prosecuted for child sexual abuse. Churches 
are often in a very open and trusting environment. But the fact is, it's very clear from the history of the last 10 years that schools and churches also attract a small group, a small but significant group of people who were there for the wrong reasons, and that includes uh, predatory pedophiles or people who have other needs being met through contact with children or through uh, inappropriate sexual contact or predatory sexual behavior in general. So it's, it's a reality that we have to accept. One of the steps in reducing the risk is to remove the misconceptions we have about child molesters. I have met a number of child molesters over the years, uh, and what I am struck by is how really nice people they seem to be. That, you know, we have this idea of child molesters lurking in alleys with the raincoats and, hey kid, come over here, type of thing. And I think that parents assume that it's somebody like that. But in fact, it's, you know, that is more rare. It's really somebody who has developed a trusted relationship with a child who might cross that boundary. So it's really, could be anybody. I'll often hear people um, as they're describing why they're absolutely sure that Brother Jones couldn't have molested all those children. Oh, he had such a special relationship with all the children. He was so good with the kids. Um, and everybody was always amazed at what uh, a great way with children he had. And then they'll go on to kind of not notice that there were all sorts of warning signs that that was not a healthy or a applaudable interest in children, but in fact masked uh, a rather uh, sick and, um, and uh, destructive interest in children. People involved in law enforcement, such as Detective Karen Balmas and parole officer Rick Fields, understand the breadth and scope of people who molest children in churches. We've had pastors, teachers, youth group directors, um, Boy Scout leaders, Sunday school teachers, and janitors from, from one end to the other. The, basically anybody who's involved there, anybody who ever has access to the kids. And then just your common, uh, or not common, but your regular church-going member. Uh, we've had plenty of those. One thing that almost all of these molesters have in common is that they are trusted. They get in situations like that, build the trust of the adults, which of course leads to the trust of the children, and um, usually that's when things start happening. We call that the grooming process, where they it may not happen within a few weeks or even a few months. That um, just building that kind of trust between the adults and themselves that kind of gain access to the children. Once abuse begins, it can continue for long periods of time without being noticed. The more serious and dangerous the offender, the more practice they will be at fading into the woodwork and not being noticed, because not being noticed is their stop and trade. I ended up sexually abusing a minor for about four and a half years. And um, then... Um, discovery of the crime came. Basically, that discovery of that led to me going to prison. It really began as a, a grooming process of, of me preparing her for um, some abuse. I would plan the activities and, and set them up 
to happen. Uh, you get um, pretty good at planning things and, and uh, setting up situations where you're alone with the miner and, and making sure there's nobody else around and being able to, uh, to groom her even more. And that's part of the grooming process is to bring the child along to the point where the child is actually initiating sexual behavior and has no awareness that this entire uh, scenario was staged by the perpetrator. Prevention requires understanding both the characteristics of the offenders and the characteristics of the victims. Someone who spends a lot of time with children, isolates children, takes a special interest in troubled or needy children, but not in a kind of a general community way, but in an isolated special relationship way is what you need to be looking for. And that's regardless of who the perpetrator is. A lot of times that's one of the, the problems we run into in church situations or in school situations where the adult is around the child for an extended period of time, they gain the trust of the parents, the community, uh, their administrative people in the church or in school, and then they, uh, they get close to a child. And a lot of times it, it's a child that may present themselves as just the perfect victim. They may not be getting a lot of attention somewhere else. They may have problems in school. They may have problems at home, and this person becomes their friend. Sexual abuse can happen in any church, including yours. Dave was molested by his pastor when he was 11 years old. Over a period of a, a couple months, I uh, said there had been these incidents of inappropriate touch, which I didn't recognize as a prepubescent 11-year-old. Uh, but I knew I was uncomfortable with it. And he took me to, uh, at, the, at the house where he lived, took me to a back room, which was also set up as an office, and I closed and locked the door, uh, which then proceeded to uh, unbuckling my pants. I clearly knew at that point that something inappropriate had happened, even though I really didn't understand uh, the sexual act. And I'll never forget the, uh, the day that I went to church, and I was told that he was no longer there, that he had been transferred. And uh, I can never forget how, how glad I was that day. So uh, I did not tell anybody at that point. Approximately two years later, when I probably started to realize the, the ramifications of what had actually happened, uh, being a 13-year-old kid, the, the thought that never came to my mind was, was he now somewhere else where he was doing this to the other kids? I was just so grateful that I was safe and that that was past me. Uh, I thought that was the appropriate thing to do, was to, to just be quiet. I was uh, scared. I was uh, afraid that I wouldn't be believed. I'm certainly embarrassed. Abuse victims often find it difficult to tell anyone and often remain silent for years. They may be embarrassed to come forward. They may have been coerced not to say anything by the perpetrator. They may have come to believe in some way that it's their doing. They may feel ashamed to talk about it. Um, there could be any host of reasons why they decide not to speak up. At this point, I know of at least uh, nine victims, uh, most of those which, which came after me. And uh, to think of how many kids were harmed because I wasn't able to come forward uh, just gave me an immense sense of regret and wishing it had never happened. Uh, but I also know that I've been forgiven. I know that God's forgiven me. And I also know that the other victims will forgive me. Because if anybody understands how difficult it is to tell 
I know it's other victims. Um, the part that I know is that if you're a victim of sexual abuse as a child, you've been harmed. And it can manifest itself in so many different ways. Um, I think for me, it was um, my lack of self-esteem, um, eating disorders, substance abuse. And, uh, and probably now as I've gone through this process of the, the past 15 months, I realized probably the greatest harm that was done to me was not only the sexual abuse, but the spiritual abuse of, uh, of realizing that I was never able to, to turn my turn my life over to God and to trust Him completely. Why are churches and schools so vulnerable to child abuse? We expect they're going to be safe. Anything else you can think of? Trust environment. Yeah. I mean, and where can you get so many kids? Availability. Availability, exactly. How do you how do you get so many kids in 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 a a, a small area and and begin to and to check them out? That that's part of it. Um, number two, child molesters are always devious, suspicious-looking people, and should be recognized very easily. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and false. Um, I, I thought uh, I thought uh, that they really described a lot of that that well. Um, and number three, there's multiple things that hit me when this guy makes this statement. The following statement and comment was made in the film about a, an accused child molester. It couldn't be Brother Jones because he is so good with kids and has a special relationship with children. Number one, what is wrong with being good with kids and having a special relationship? Right, but in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? But, you're right, it can be devious. And he, he goes on to say, but they missed some of the signs. And that's the key. Because don't we want our kids, and this is the danger of focusing so much on the bad guys, that we are afraid to look at the many, many people who, who make a huge difference in our, our lives from the past and the, and, and the children of the present. Because they are good with kids. They do have special relationships many times. Uh, there are just, probably all of us can name somebody. But it's the other signs and the deviousness that can come with it that, that is important. And we're going to talk about that in a, a question a little farther down. Number four, what is the one thing that all molesters have in common? They're trusted. That's good. They're trusted. And they made that. And they're trusted by both the adults and the child. Number five, when a, molest, when a child molester works to gain the trust of, an, of the adults and children, this is called 
the grooming process. And I, I may have heard that before this video, but I don't, I don't remember. And it sounds like they can, they can, that grooming process can be set up over months before it actually starts the abuse. And again, I'm, I'm not trying to be a psychologist or a, or any professional in this, but there's obviously degrees of these people. Some people take advantage of a situation that happens. Others, like this grooming process, they're planning it. They're, they've, they've looked at it from a lot of different angles. And the one guy that went to prison, he, he, he particularly used that term grooming process. Uh, I guess number six, we've kind of talked about that. Um, anything else? Describe the grooming process. Well, the film said, you know, that they, they set up the activities so that they can isolate the child away from everybody. It's just plan. Yeah. That's, that takes forth on planning. Yeah. And he says, you get to be pretty good at that. thought that was an interesting comment. What are the uh, characteristics of the offender. They could be anybody. They look normal. Right. They want to be not noticed. They want to be not, not noticed. Right. What, what else? They have an interest in troubled or needed children. You know, that's, that's really one of the tragedies of this. The kids that may need the most help are the most vulnerable to this. That okay, uh, what are some of the characteristics of the victim? That guy at the end had a lot to had a lot to say. So innocent, I always did think that uh, that society blames schools for for failing kids. And I always thought that, in general, a good bit of that problem starts at home. How do you teach a child that that is given no encouragement, that is is uh, has no self-interest or self-worth? Uh, how do you teach a child that the deck is so stacked against them? And so the school takes it often, but where so much of the problem is at home. Um, why would, number nine, why would a child not report sexual or physical abuse, do you think? Fear. Being threatened that their parent would get in trouble. Fear. Shame. Shame. They're afraid that they won't be believed. Right. Yeah. In some ways, many of us have, have over the course of our lives, we just... 
we just, uh, things have gone bad in our lives and we learn very early to suppress it. So it's no wonder that children who don't really have a lot of uh, ability to deal with with things they don't understand, they just, they learn not to speak and that's that's too bad. That's why we got to be the listeners. we got to be the, the people who care. Um how can sexual abuse manifest, manifest itself later in the victim's life? Low self-esteem. Low self-esteem. He didn't mention it, but one of the worst is that they may in fact become an abuser. And that wasn't mentioned in this, but I've, I've seen it in others, that there is a problem that that history repeats itself. And again... I've heard a high, high incidence, too, of people who are, have become gay uh, have all had that abuse as a young child in their life. One of the sad parts of our society is we can't... In this, the current environment, it's hard to really deal with this issue. Because uh, the minute you you deal with consequences of this kind of behavior, of abuse and so on, and you you label it anyway, uh, somebody's going to call you homophobic or any number of things. And now they'll take you to court. And that's the, that's one of the sad things that that we can't really be open and honest about about that stuff. No, if we're open and honest, yeah, we're the ones being taken to court. Right, sure, sure. Uh, another effect is confusion, and because it doesn't make sense, I must have done something wrong, blaming them. Right. Because they know they're not perfect, so that must be the thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. And also probably just a lack of ability. You know, how are you intimate with your husband or wife later in life? Because that's something that has been twisted for you. Right. Right. Hmm. I had a question about number three. Number three. That's all right. You said, um, what, how could it, because he has such a special relationship with children? I, I don't know. I have three kids, and I think it would bother me in some way to know that someone had a I'd say special or more special relationship with my kids than I do, you know. And so I don't quite understand why that would be good. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, I'm imagining, you know, a vet with my oldest and, you know, mm-hmm. having a conversation with him at school, but him going, you know, oh, she's amazing and I love her, and I'd be like, okay, this is something, you know. You're an involved parent, and maybe, maybe kids who don't have loving or involved parents we have, kid, we have kids come to church here without either parent. Yes, yeah. Or they don't have a dad, so they got a special relationship because it's a man, and that's their father figure, or they're, they don't have a But should, okay, if I'm in that boat, and I can tell the kids latching in some way because they don't have a dad, should I continue? Because it does, seems... Does not be alone? Yeah. You can still love them. It's not being appropriate. But yeah, yeah, be there. No, what I mean is continue with that, encouraging that, uh, I mean, even, you know, in a group setting, encouraging that 
Relationship. Yeah. Am I making sense? Sure. It's like sure. as a dad, should I step in and be a dad for other kids? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it foster this kind of funkiness? Well, you know, when you're involved though, as a parent, I found myself being the baseball coach, the softball coach, the the, the, the counselor, the guy yeah, going on the trip because you were involved with your children. Yeah. And the other children, uh, they get to know you, and, you know, and you're usually friends with their parents. And, I think there will be naturally an infatuation at some point, but but making sure that you're not being inappropriate in your relationship with them can keep it healthy and show them what a healthy relationship is like. They may not have a dad at home, but you can show them what mm-hmm. a healthy relationship is like with an older man without making it inappropriate. And it could actually heal, you know, some issues in the heart, or, you know, they will grow to be an adult who has a lot of admiration for you because... You were health. You you had a healthy. I guess I just saw like special relationship, more intimate. You know. Yeah. Well, he def he he definitely in the film he definitely painted that in a suspicious light. You're 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 right. When I saw that, now he he concluded it by saying they miss some some signs. The the only thing when I saw that I. The, the problem in this class, we focus so much on the bad guys that, that I wanted to say that m- many of us will find great fulfillment in ministry by ministering kids who need this. They need, uh, in my life, my dad was a, was, I knew my dad loved me, but he was, he was a typical dad out of World War II era. He was, uh, he was not an affectionate guy. He was not he was not the guy you would run to 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 talk things over. I knew he loved me. He cared for me. But a lot of men in the church filled gaps that he didn't he didn't provide. And I I never held it against him. Never. I mean, uh I went to my first Chicago White Sox ball game. Man, that was great. My dad would would have never done that. He just wasn't interested. But other guys in the church did. And we were a tiny little church. We had 60 on Sunday morning. And so it, for me, I can only say that that played a real factor in my life. Uh, so did I see a hand, Rick? Okay. Okay, I got, uh, I've got a few more things. I know time's kind of getting away from us. Uh oh, did I go dead here? Okay, let's see here. Now, I found this. Uh, Christianity Today had a teaser in, a, in an email. They were trying to get you to subscribe, and they had this chart, and I thought it was an interesting chart. The only way I could get the answer is if I subscribed, and I didn't want to. So I researched because I liked this. And I decided that we'll run through this real quick because of time, but there's some real good questions on this. And I, is it tough to read from there? Uh, number one, uh, again, the title, what should we do if we suspect child abuse? Number one, am I a mandatory or permissive reporter under state law? Under, in this case, Texas law. 
Mandatory permissive, there are no permissive reporters in Texas. Permissive meaning optional, you could report it or you don't have to report it. Well, in Texas, we're talking about a generation's church, but this applies, what we're, a lot of what we're talking about applies to every adult 18 and over in the state of Texas. It's mandatory. Any person having cause to believe that a child's physical or mental health or welfare has been adversely affected by abuse must make a report to the proper authorities. And we're going to deal with who the proper authorities are. So you, we are all mandatory reporters. Okay, number two. What is the definition of child abuse in my state? And again, they're trying to, Christianity today goes throughout, it's a magazine, goes throughout the U.S. Uh, so, let's look. And a lot of these, I try to give, uh, I looked on this website, the Department of Family and Protective Services, Protective Services uh, website, because this is where the hotline is. If you have to report, say, that's one of the options you have is to go to the hotline. So this is where the hotline is. And I include this was, was kind of interesting. I'm 65, and so I thought I would include this. Abuse is mental, emotional, physical, or sexual injury to a child or person 65 years or older. So anyway... Yeah, or failure to prevent such injury. Now, we've never used the word neglect, but it's in this, this website. Neglect of a child includes failure to provide a child with food, clothing, shelter, and or medical care, and or leaving a child in a situation where the child is at risk or harm. So that, these are the legal Texas definitions. Into Walmart and you see the three-year-old sitting in the car by themselves. Especially, I'd like. Yeah, and it, it, it grieves. What's? Oh my gosh! It grieves me every year when kids die in a hot car. I just that one's just beyond. Or even just. The risk of getting when it's not hot, just the risk of getting kidnapped. There was a baby kidnapped in Seatonville a couple weekends. Yeah. Where they sent her from the house, so they took her to the car. Well, they were. She was getting the children out of the car. She was in her driveway. They did find the baby. Okay, here it says all states define a child very bottom of the slide. All states define a child as a person under the age of 18. All, all 50 states. Adult with disability. You know, I did not look up, uh, and, and maybe that's for something. What are the requirements of reporting these? Is it the exact same as children? I would assume it's on the same website, that it's the same. Okay. All right, number three. 
Do I have reasonable cause to believe that abuse has occurred? And let's face it, this is the toughie. When really, when really comes down to it, when I see it, what do I do? Do I have reasonable cause to believe that abuse has occurred? What if I'm not sure? If you have reason to suspect abuse, but are not positive, make the report. And I know it's scary because we know we're affecting somebody's life. And it's scary. If you have any doubts about whether or not it is abuse, call the hotline. This is right off of the, the website. And you have the additional advantage is we have an attorney for the church. We get a, a whole hour free a month <laughs> of, of counsel. We can, if there's an issue you're struggling with, don't struggle with it alone. Okay? You're not in this by yourself. I had to call CPS before, and they have questions, and they'll say, yes, we need to go and open this up and take this next step, or there's not enough. So you can call and ask at time. Yeah, that's good. I actually, um, Laura and I had to call our attorney here several weeks ago because uh, we got some secondhand accusations. And... Based on everything, we talked probably a good 40 minutes, I guess. And he said, when it's so much generalization secondhand, there's, there's really not much you could do. So we did not, on that one, we did not call the hotline. I have a question. Sure. your comment we have a neighbor that uh, decided to put a pool in then they were taking their sweet sweet time putting up their privacy fence and we had somebody went over to that knocked on the front door and said how dare you put that pool in and it's unprotected well our kids can swim so I think your first responsibility is go to the parents saying, do something. If I see this one more time, I'm calling the, I'm, it's, I'm calling the police. Just threaten them. Say, you know, I know we're neighbors. because they're neighbors. Well, I don't care. I know they're neighbors. I know well, I don't want to cause any problem with you. But I would rather you be ticked off at me than have your child show up on the Walmart poster yeah. for missing the footage. 
Because uh, we, I, I, so mean, I think that your responsibility first is to say, if you don't do something, I am going to call because your child, this is a busy street, their car is racing up and down the street. What if your child walks into the street? Then what do you, how are you going to do something? And we've, we've had, I've had that discussion of uh, many times that it's not me, it's like kids taking the little girl back, back to their house. Now, let's look at the second part of this, because I think some of this deals with, with this very discussion. Reports are always confidential and anonymous. You don't even have to get on the hotline. Uh, you don't have to give your name. You do not need to prove that abuse is occurring. It is up to DFPS to investigate the suspicions. You're not the judge. And we need to remember that. That's not our role. We're reporters. We're observers that have that option to report. So, uh, now if you go through the website, I think you do have to give your name. But on, if you call the 800 number, the hotline, you can do it anonymously. Yeah, yes it is. And I double-checked that, actually. Well, actually, I checked our, our, uh, our report that we... All right, see, what were we? Three, four. How does my state or local human services agency define a timely report? Within 24 hours? Something else. Anybody know how long we have to report? As soon as possible. As soon as possible. Texas gives a 48-hour grace period for professional counseling. So we have now reporting it. Now, let's take a step back. If you see obvious physical or abuse that's dangerous, 911 may be your first call. You know, so immediately may be the answer. But you do have, under Texas law, you have 48 hours. So, I mean, with that grace period, you're saying that this could get charged back on you for not reporting something? After 48 hours, and we're going to see, there are, there are consequences. This is if you know. Yeah. If you know there's abuse. You, you, if you suspect, but if you know there's Yeah, I, I think I would too. From the time in, in the cases where within the church that there's a time clock that kind of, you know, the, the timer starts, then we have so much time, is the way I've interpreted, to contact our attorney, to talk it over with elders, and, and make our decision whether we're going to go to the hotline. Okay? So, now again, the key is, is, is what's really happening. If, if it's just life-threatening, throw everything else out and call 911. Okay. Number five. Does the clergy penitent privilege protect me from disclosing this information? And here it says this is only true in a few states. 
In Texas, clergy, clergy privilege is denied in cases of suspected child abuse or neglect. There is no clergy penitent relationship. Well, in, in the past, yeah, a, a pastor or a priest gets a confession from somebody that they abused or shot somebody or did something. They were protected by law. In these cases, there is no privilege. I can't, I wouldn't say that's true in all states, but definitely when I, I, I checked all this out, there, nobody gets a pass. Number six. Now, this really doesn't have an They include the answer in here. Did the alleged abuse involve pedophilic? Is that how you pronounce that? I have struggled. I should have looked it up on the Internet. Pedophilic? Okay. Uh, behavior, sexual contact with a pre-adolescent child. Did the alleged abuse involve pedophilic behavior? If so, resolve doubts in favor of reporting. So what they're saying is, if, if you've got somebody 12 years and under, is the way I interpret that, the younger they get, the less they can even report. A child can report, obviously. So what they're saying is in doubt report. But again, I'm saying you have a lot of resources. You're not alone. So just to help you out, use the church takes this seriously. In Texas, you know, we have school teachers getting in trouble saying it was consensual. In Texas, if they're under 17, it's not consensual. Yeah. Period. Even if the other party is also under 17. Okay, this next one, as we started to deal with number seven, I think we're at seven. Do I have any risk of civil liability under state law if I choose not to report the abuse? Anyone who does not report suspected abuse can be held liable for a misdemeanor or felony. A, rep- a person who reports abuse in good faith is immune from civil or criminal liability. So the answer there, uh, a lot of times you, you talk about the difference, and I'm no lawyer, so correct me if I'm wrong. We're talking about the uh, criminal behavior or civil behavior. Basically, you can, if you don't report and you know something, you can be held liable. You know, good question. I don't, I don't know. One of the things, um, I've got a form here that uh, anytime you get involved, we want to keep a written report of exactly what everybody did and when. You heard about it on Tuesday. You talked to the elders Tuesday night. Wednesday morning, we called the hotline, gave details. So... We've got a filing cabinet in there, and there's only a handful of things we keep in there. Uh, but one of them is a folder that, that, that keeps a de- as much a detailed record as possible of a particular incident. The, I do know that if you give your name, that they will 
contact you back at least once to let you know what they're doing. Now, how far that goes, I don't know. Okay, remember that second part. A person who reports abuse in good faith is immune from civil or criminal liability. Number eight, uh, should I anonymously discuss, the, and we've really covered this, available evidence with the state agency that receives child abuse reports to determine whether the agency believes that a report should be filed? And you can do that. You can discuss with them. Uh, and that is an option to be anonymous, and we've we've talked about that. And and I and I, I'm sure as I read that very last sentence, should you wish to remain anonymous, call the abuse hotline. And I I think that's the only way to stay anonymous. I think if you go through their internet, they'll require you to give a name. So, but you know everything can change tomorrow. So, all right, number nine. Should I try to persuade the informant to report the abuse? The person that witnesses or observes possible abuse is required by law to report. And we've talked about all of this. And here is a situation, and I want to discuss it very briefly, and I'm, I'm real sensitive to your time, so I'll, I'll, I'll make this. One of the problems in, in leadership over the years that I've seen is people will come to me uh, or somebody else and say, I know this awful things happen and I need to tell somebody, but you can't tell anybody. And I have, I have come to the point that if anybody tells me that, I have to say, depends on what you tell me, whether it's not going any further. If you know something that that could risk a life, I'm not going to make that promise. So be real careful. I mean, in, in fact, if it's so bad, you have to report it. So uh, we've probably all told somebody something confidential and said, please don't pass that on. But it's like email. If you write an email and it's personal, just consider that it's public. Yeah, if you want to keep something private, don't tell anybody. Yeah, and, I, and, and I'm sure a lot of people want to unload, but, and, and innocently so, but what they're effectively doing is making their problem your problem. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. This is Dr. Walker, and she's one of the managers at Gone Valley Image and Mark. I'm coordinator. I screen people for services. Oh, right. Yeah, I bet you do. In chains, rabbit chains. They come and shine. I tell them I'm from. Abuse of overfeeding. Okay, you may be a good resource for us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, ten, uh, does, our, does our state require us to file a report to law enforcement or a social service agency? And we know that it does. Uh, so, that's the end of the material. 
uh, you have a packet in your hand. If you have already gone through the, the, this course before and you filled out all these forms, you really, you're welcome to leave. 